But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My aim this morning is to endeavor to so preach this word that everybody in this room, everybody, will take one more step on your journey toward engagement with world evangelization, whatever that is for you. One more step, one decisive, significant step for wherever you are on that journey. Everybody will take a step this morning. And then secondly, my very clear, upfront aim is that for many of you, I'm praying for hundreds in these two services, that next step will be such a decisive one that it will be the one behind which you never go on the way into missions. Many of you will find that the next step that you take will be the, the irretrievable one, the irreversible one that will catapult you into going into missions as your work, as your life. So that's what I'm after this morning. I'm not just into information this morning. And I'm not only into altering mental states or theological ideas. I am on a heaven-sent recruitment campaign for King Jesus as emissary sent out to the less and the more or the non-reached peoples of the world. And so I'd like to pray that God would do that. Father, as I undertake now to open this passage of Scripture, I ask that everybody here would be so worked upon by the Holy Spirit through the truth that with their minds and with their hearts, another significant step would be taken into more significant engagement in world evangelization, whether sending or going. And then, Lord, I pray for that other group. Only you know who they are. Even they don't know who they are yet right now. That there would be many hundreds in this church. Hundreds. For whom another step would be felt as a step of commitment into going. Going across a culture. It might mean across the street to the. Ethiopian or Somali or some other people group, but across a culture, Lord, to bring the life-giving, Christ-exalting good news of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Oh God, oh God, perform it. This is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not my work. Jesus, you commanded me and us, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers 
into his harvest. And so I'm asking you, Lord of the harvest, in obedience to your command to pray this, that you would send hundreds from Bethlehem, 2,000 by 2,000, counting all their families, to the unreached and the less reached peoples of the world. In Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen. Now, the, the verses I'm going to look at, verses 18 to 20, are divided by the Lord himself into three parts, very simply. I've given them names in the title of the message so that you will see what the point of these parts is. Verse 18 is a lofty claim. Verse 19 is the last command. And verse 20 is a loving comfort. So let's take verse 18 first. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, that's a very lofty claim for anybody to make. It has been given to him by God, the father, because he died, he overcame guilt, he overcame condemnation. Because he rose again, he overcame suffering and he overcame death. And since he has triumphed over guilt and condemnation and suffering and death, he has also triumphed over Satan. Because the only way, ultimately, that Satan can damn the people of God is with guilt and condemnation. And the only way he can rough us up is with suffering and with death. And if suffering and death and guilt and condemnation have been conquered by Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, Satan is empty handed today in his ability to destroy believers. And this is a tremendous thing. And therefore, therefore, Philippians 2 says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, which is just another way of saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here's our king who's commissioning us. This lofty claim, all authority has been bought by me, possessed by me, given to me. I have all authority in the universe. Let's ponder it for a minute. All authority, really, all authority. All authority over Satan and all demons and all angels, good and evil. Authority over the natural universe, natural objects and laws and forces like Stars and galaxies and planets and meteorites. Authority over all weather systems, winds and rains and lightning and thunder and hurricanes and tornadoes and monsoons and typhoons and cyclones and all their effects like tidal waves and floods and fires. All authority over molecular and atomic reality, atoms, electrons, protons, neutrons, subatomic particles, quantum physics. DNA, chromosomal reality, all plants, all animals, doesn't matter what size, whales, 
redwoods, giant squid, and giant oaks, all fish, all wild beasts he has authority over, all invisible animals like bacteria and viruses and parasites and germs of every kind he has authority over. He has authority over all the parts and functions of the human body, every beat of your heart, every Movement of the diaphragm, every little jump across a million synapses in your brain. Jesus has all authority over all those physiological phenomena in your body. He has all authority over nations and governments and congresses and legislatures and kings and premiers and courts. He has all authority over armies and weapons and bombs and terrorists All authority over industry and business and finance and currency. All authority over entertainment and amusement and leisure and media. All authority over education and research and science and discovery. All authority over crime and violence and all families and all neighborhoods. And he has authority over his body, the church, and over every soul in the universe and every moment And every second of every life lived now or previously or forever and ever anywhere in the universe. He has all authority. Jesus has all authority. And that's why he has a right to say. Go everywhere. Verse 18 is the. Search warrant for breaking into other cultures. Almost nobody in America believes we have a warrant to do this today. This is a massively politically incorrect thing for us to do, namely world evangelization. I was at a college, a so-called Christian college recently. Where the chaplain is an evangelical who believes the Bible and many on the faculty do not. And the big issues there are pluralism and diversity. And when he stands up and speaks to a thousand students in the chapel, which he does, and they voluntarily come. 30 students were in the chapel before he came as an evangelical. And now five years later, a thousand students are in the chapel. And all these nominal believers are very upset about this and want him out of there big time fast. And he may not get his job. The newspapers in the town are against him. Why? He believes in world evangelization. Pure and simple. That Jesus is Lord of the universe. And he calls everybody to repent everywhere in every religion and every culture and every tribe. So that when they have parties at this campus, they make big effigies of this man, big faces out of cardboard and wear them in muck. They give speeches of of televangelists with his face on. And I know this because his son went to one of those parties and spoke to me. And he took two of them outside. This is a big guy. He took two of them outside and said, this is not cool. Take off your mask. And it was faculty members. You will pay big time if you believe this text in America and not just in the Muslim world. 
But we have a warrant. We have a warrant. You don't do this kind of thing without a warrant. You don't go into somebody's culture or house and say, Jesus is Lord of this house. Jesus is Lord of this culture without a warrant. What's the warrant? Verse 18 is the warrant. I have died. I have risen. I have triumphed over all my enemies. I have all authority in heaven. I have all authority on earth. Go. Jump over verse 19 with me to verse 20 to see not only the lofty claim, but the loving comfort. Lo, I will be with you always. Literally all the days to the end of the age. There are three pieces to this. Call them identification, continuation and duration. Those three pieces in verse 20 at the end. What do I mean by identification? I mean, would you please for a moment here, ask the Lord to reveal to your heart what stands in the page. That the one who promises never to leave you and always be with you is the one who has all authority in the universe. Would you please right now whisper a prayer in your heart? I'm whispering it right now for you. That God would open your eyes to what that means. Lord, just do it. Just would you come at this moment and put these two verses together? Verse 18. All authority in the universe. All power. All right. The right and the power to do as you please in every area of life. Every culture. Every people. Every religion. The right and the power to be Lord and King. You have spoken to your people. I will always be with you to the end. Get it? The one who said, I will always be with you is that one. The identification. The continuation is found in the word always or all the days. And what I mean by that is not just length of time, but unbroken time. See the point? He doesn't go on vacation on Mondays. Pastors think he goes on vacation on Mondays. And so they get real depressed and discouraged on Monday morning. Where's God? Well, answer is as close as your skin. Because he doesn't break his word. He does not break his word. I don't care how blue the day is. Jesus doesn't lie. I will always be with you. Dark, bright, up, down, bad, good. Death, life, I will always be with you. Hebrews 13, 5. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never fail you and I will never forsake you. Though he giveth or he taketh God his loved ones. Finish it. Ne'er forsaketh his the loving purpose solely to preserve them pure and holy. Swedes have good theology. Though he giveth 
or he taketh, God, his loved ones, never forsaketh. Continuation. And then thirdly, duration. To the end of the age. So no breaks and no end. No breaks and no end. And if you says, ah, but it says to the end of the age. I said, yes, and after that it gets better. Because after that is heaven. After that is complete, total intimacy. So we have identification. The one who made this promise is the one who has all authority. That one who triumphed over death and guilt and condemnation and suffering and death. That one who's triumphed over Satan says, I will be with you. Always continuation and I will be with you forever. Duration. Now, now we have two pillars. This is the reason I took it out of order. I'm going back now to verse 19. But I wanted to put the two pillars in place. The first pillar is look who he is. With all authority, the warrant, the warrant. I have all authority in every religion, in every culture and I give you massive comfort. I give you loving assurance. I give you encouragement. I give you help. I give you strength. I will be with you. I will never put you out there and go back to Philadelphia. Or Minneapolis. Or Los Angeles. Or Chicago. I won't put you out there and leave you. I won't do that to you. You know that one of the forms of the Great Commission that we're now going to put on top of these two pillars is... Luke 10, 23, which says, go, for I send you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now put it on top of these pillars. Verse 19, therefore, because I have all authority, because I'll never leave you, go and make disciples of all nations. And make disciples of all nations. Every culture. Every ethnic group. Every society. Every religion. Every language. Is duty bound. To worship Jesus. He has all authority to be king and lord and savior. Everywhere. And in all groups. And he calls you now to go on his behalf to be emissaries to Somali people and Manica people and Sukumu people and Kazakh people and Uzbek people and Muslim people and Buddhist people and Hindu peoples and animist peoples and call every one of them to repent and believe in King Jesus as the only way to heaven. If you want to be on the cutting edge of which people groups in the world are not yet penetrated with this glorious gospel of the triumph of Jesus over sin and guilt and condemnation and suffering and death so that all who believe might have everlasting life. If you want to be on the cutting edge of what those people groups are, spend an afternoon now, a legitimate afternoon on the Lord's Day in front of your computer. Can you believe I'm asking you to do this? And type in ad2000.org. And enjoy your day surfing for the kingdom.
Because there you will find, for example, uh, all the statistics with regard to the peoples of the world that are more or less reached or not reached. And if, for example, they're grouped by country or they're grouped by name, you can choose. You punch on Guinea, the peoples come up, hit on the Managa, the people come up. And what you will find on that page is those engaged and the top of the list, you'll find Bethlehem Baptist Church. And then if you want, you can jump to the notebook section where they give people profiles of all these people. You can spend a whole afternoon marveling at God's work among the nations. So if you don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about unreached peoples, then uh, go ahead and make legitimate use of your computer this afternoon. Perhaps one more thing before I close with some responses. Yes, we have a warrant to go. Yes, we have a warrant to say, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins among every religion and every tribe and every people group and every culture. Yes. But Christianity does not spread by bombs and bullets and terrorism and violence. Christianity spreads by proclamation of the truth, persuasion and demonstrations of love. Jesus said in John 18:36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, we do not fight to spread the gospel. And of course, you say, yes, we did. And that's true. And we should repent for the crusades. As much as it lies within us. It was disobedient. It was a misunderstanding. It was a terrible thing on the screen of history and culture. The Apostle Paul said, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Christianity spreads when it's spreading according to the will of King Jesus by truth. And proclamation and persuasion and love and demonstration and sacrifice and, if necessary, martyrdom. But not by the sword, except maybe for this sword. This sword we will use. This sword we will quote from. This sword we will give our lives for. But this sword doesn't kill anybody. It is so full of truth and so full of love and so full of hope and so full of joy and so full of peace and so full of eternal and everlasting delight that we should spend our lives teaching. Oh, isn't it remarkable that in Acts 19, when Paul wanted to evangelize all of Asia, totally unreached, he bedded down in Ephesus for two and a half years Rented the hall of Tyrannus and taught for five hours a day. Is that an interesting strategy? And it says, all Asia heard the word of God. Because in America now, which is a post-Christian country, 
Nobody knows this book. Nobody knows what's in this book. They may think they, the evangelical church doesn't even know what's in this book. All our leaders in Congress are evangelicals. Sleeping around. Including the president. Evangelicals don't know what's in the book. We must be a teaching people. A truth driven people. Not just a, here's a, here's a little piece and believe those two things or three things or four things or six things and now good, you're, you're evangelized and off to another person. They don't know what's in the book and how much less did Asia know what was in the book? Okay. Let's apply this to ourselves now. You know what Jesus is doing here in these three verses. He made a lofty claim. He made a last command. And he made now a loving comfort. He's doing that to move you to do something. It's not just filling your head with information here. Jesus is trying to motivate us to to act. And so I want to give you about six or seven ways to respond to this message. I'll just list them. And the last one will be to invite some of you to the front for prayer. Number one, everybody can set some kind of prayer commitment for the end of the year. Got two months now, November and December. Picture it as January 1 in November. Everybody makes resolutions in January 1. Why not November 1? It's November 1. And you've got two months. Make an eight-week resolution to pray for a people group or a missionary every day or for your own soul and your own vocation. God is stirring in hundreds of you. He really is. He's, he's stirring in, in middle-life people like me. He's stirring in older people. To what to do with their retirement. He's stirring in college students and high school students and people in between, young families and single people. He's stirring, causing them to just wonder, is this what, is this all there is? Is, am I supposed to do this for the rest of my life? Or might that little nudge that I felt when I was 12 or, is that coming back? Is there something to this, Lord? Am I here this morning for a reason like that? God's doing that sort of thing all over the place. And I am going to call for you to yield to it at the end. Number two, that was the first one. Pray in some concerted way for a couple of months. Uh, number two, I don't know if there are any left. There probably aren't. But when I walked in here this morning, there were about 60 of these cans out there in ministry hall. If they're not there, uh, we'll get some more. But if they're there, grab the last ones and put it on your kitchen table or your dresser. And at the end of the day, you reach in, this is called the, the loose change fellowship, and you put the loose change in here, and when it's full, we have times where we come and the children pour them into the barrel, and we, over and above budget, take that money and send it straight to an unreached uh, people, group, mission of some kind, and try to advance the cause in that way. It's a great prayer reminder. And when you're in that ministry hall, by the way, there's missionary things on either side. Go there and visit. And one of them is sort of urgent because we have a connection with Ukraine, as many of you know. And we've been uh, children have been adopted. More are being adopted. And uh, the workers there among the churches and the orphanages have tremendous needs. And one of the needs is for shoes. And there's a big, huge shipment from the NBC churches going over in Thursday a week. And so if you could bring a new pair of shoes that you bought for some Ukrainian 
person on Wednesday or next Sunday, that would be a great thing. So if you need to ask about that, just go to the table out there and ask. Number three, buy a good missionary biography and read it. Or go to the library and get one. On that table back there in the corner next to the tape table are 60 titles, or they were before the first service, where you can go. And I'll warn you, this is dangerous to buy missionary books. Real dangerous because... One of the fastest ways to undermine your addiction to the American dream is to read missionary biography. And so I encourage you to do it and to take the risk and see what God might do in your life. Buy a missionary book this morning before you go. Number four. Come to Missions in the Manse this Friday at 715. If you are seriously contemplating missions in your future. Um, Noel and I started this in 1984. By inviting people to come over on Friday nights. We've done it about 35 times or so. And the aim is to worship together. We take all the furniture out of the living room. And all the furniture out of the dining room. Stash it in the den in the bedroom. And everybody sits on the floor. And I fully expect we'll pack 130, 150 people in there this Friday at 7 o'clock. And uh, our aim is to hear what God is doing among those who come. Who are feeling the nudge towards mission. And then to uh, let me... Have at you for 15 or 20 minutes or so to inspire and encourage and challenge you. And a lot of good connections happen there for people on the way to similar kinds of destinations. So the carrot that Noel and I have held out has been the same for these uh, 14 years. And it's the same now. Last night, as I was making a note to do this in the sermon, I pushed the little intercom we have between my study and the kitchen. And I said, Noel, are you there? She said, yeah, I'm here. I said, uh, I want to announce tomorrow that we're having missions in the manse. Are you willing to commit with me again to pray by name for all those people who come every day for the rest of this year? Click. Click. Yes. Click. No hesitation. No. Mm, uh, that's, a little, that's a big commitment. Because uh, mm. we've been doing this for 14 years and we are ready to do it again. We will pray by name every day for those who come to this meeting. For the rest of the year, because we believe God uses those prayers remarkably. So I hope you'll come. Number five. I want 200 of you in the first and second service to go to a course, register for it and take it called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. When this came to Bethlehem and to the Twin Cities back in 1983 and 1984, it turned our church upside down, created an ethos here that was really quite remarkable. It's called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And it is a class for which you can get certificate credit, college credit, or graduate credit. It goes from January 18 to May 3rd, every Monday night, for three hours at about 6.30 to 9.30. And it costs money, and it's real education, real credit, real assignments, real books, real tests, real papers. You will pay to take this class, and it will be worth every dime and every minute Strategy, history, theology, Bible, culture, anthropology, speakers brought in from across the country to stir you up and give you the very best in contemporary missiological, historical, theological education. And they're all listed here. This will be stuck out to you, though not in your face, out to you as you leave at these three doors and you may take one. And I hope you will. And if you're married, talk it over with your spouse. If you're single, talk it up with friends. And let's have 200 of our people in this class 
in the new year. I'm praying towards that end, and so is John Danette. If you want to ask a question about it, John and Carrie, who are doing it this year, will be available at their table out there in Ministry Hall. Okay. Now, the last one is uh, both a commissioning and an invitation. So, Kurt and Jill, I see them out there. I want them to come. I want Tom to come. I want David Yeager to come. And I want all the elders who are in the second service to join me here at the front. So the elders who are here, most of our elders go to first service, but if there are any of you here, come line up behind Kurt and Jill here. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, Kurt and Jill Swanson have just been called by the elders for a 26-month tour of duty, as it were, here at the church as missions director. Now, Tom Steller is associate for missions and leadership development. And with the emergence of TBI, leadership development is consuming almost all of his time. He's still overseer and pastor for missions. But we have felt like coming to the end of the millennium with our goal of 2,000 by 2,000 cent and one to Christ, God might be pleased to honor that if we would be a little more aggressive, a little more energetic, a little more intentional about seeing that goal fulfilled. And so in August, when the staff went away and fasted and prayed, God, how shall we move in 2000 by 2000? Uh, I believe uh, God birthed in David Livingston, our Tuesday night efforts, our Saturday efforts in local evangelism and birthed in Tom Steller's heart. A bigger vision for how we might strategize to mobilize our people to go. And Kurt is home from Guinea uh, for some years here. And while he's here, uh, there are a lot of things he could be doing. Churches have wanted him to come join them. Mission agencies in England and America are interested in him. And for some reason, uh, under God's providence, he has been open and available to us for this time. And the elders said, well, let's take money that is in the mission budget because of the extraordinary giving at the end of last year and a few other things and apply it to an on-site mission mobilizer for these 26 months leading up to the end of 19, uh, 2000, 2000, December 31st. And let Kurt mobilize and equip and shepherd and gather people. And do everything he can. If you want to see his job description, there's a sheet with 26 or 21, I don't know how many paragraphs of job description out there on what this man will be doing in these months. Letter of acceptance just came to us. He starts is it the 16th or 18th, 16th of November in this work. And he wrote uh, for both Jill and him. Uh, Jill and I look forward with great anticipation to the next 26 months at Bethlehem. And beyond, if that's the Lord's will, we trust that the Lord will do through us beyond what we can ask or imagine to promote the cause of world evangelization at Bethlehem, to support and encourage our Bethlehem missionaries and to help run the Bethlehem missions machine with wartime efficiency and effectiveness to the end that there will be worshipers from every tribe and tongue and people and language. Nothing could give us greater joy unless perhaps we should hear of a vast harvest among the Manica, which, of course, may not be an alternative to this, but rather the result of it. Now, the way I want to do this commissioning is for me to uh, 
give Kurt a word from the Lord, from the scriptures, and then have David Yeager. Come stand with me, David. David Yeager and his wife, Faith, are also home from Guinea. Both of these couples served uh, several terms in Guinea among the Manica people, our adopted people group. And I wanted Kurt to hear this word in English and Manica. So I'm going to do it in English. And David's going to do it in Manica. And it's the finer verse from the last verses from the last two weeks, which I think is just appointed, right? It's good for Kurt. And so I'll try to say it by memory. And then uh, David will present it to us in uh, Manica. So this is this is for you, Kurt and Jill, from 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that in due season he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be alert. Be sober. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the whole world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself will himself restore, establish, and strengthen you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 